In this episode, we bid farewell to Melinda Ledbetter and brother Wayne Kramer, then we talk about Picard Season 3 and a concert that I went to featuring Extreme and Living Color. It's going to be a fun one, folks. I'm your host, Derek Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hey there, checkmates and checkettes. That doesn't make any sense. Checkmates is not a gendered term. Why did I try to make it? I should start again. Uh, hey there, checkmates. It's your old Uncle Derek coming to you on a snowy day in St. Louis. Uh, full disclosure, the episode that you're about to hear is piecemealed together from a couple of different days. Uh, on this one, I am doing it the day before it'll get uploaded. This is uh, this, this segment here. Snowy day today. It snowed. Which, like, this time last week, it was 70 degrees in February, you know. And then this time this week, it's snowing. And by Wednesday of next week, it's going to be in the 60s again. So, that's a sign of the planet dying, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy to think that, am I? That, that kind of that weather fluctuation to those extremes in... St. Louis in February? That's... That's the planet dying. Also, I pronounce both R's in February as we've been over in the past. You do not need to email me about that. But if you wanted to, you can do that. There are, in fact, a number of ways for you to engage with the show outside of just listening to it. If you like the show, and... Sure, why wouldn't you? You can check out the companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. It is available on all of the apps that you could possibly want it to be on. Well, all of the streaming apps. It's not like on uh, Excel. But it's on all of the streaming apps that you could want it to be on. If it is not on your app of choice, number one, how are you listening to this? How are you doing this? Why, why do I even say this part? You're listening to this on an app. But if it's not on the one you want, uh, let me know and I will do what I can to get it there. If you want to know more about me, and clearly, sure, uh, go on over to DerekBrink.com. Lots of stuff to click on there, mostly about my music career. Speaking of which, if you like the music that you hear throughout the show, it's all stuff that I wrote and recorded and own. And I give it all away for free over at DerekBrink.Bandcamp.com and or FromTheBrink.Bandcamp.com, depending on the song. You can find... Links at the blog, the each song that you hear, etc. Uh, all you gotta do is under zero is your purchase price, and you can take it. I don't collect your email address, so I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. Uh, and if you want to email me, the what started this whole mess. If you want to email me, you can do that at my initials db at derekbrink dot com. I reply to everybody who wasn't mean to me in their email. Uh, I got the metrics out of the way early. Someone's proud of me. Some metric jerk. Because, you know, metrics are the only thing that matter. In life and in society. They're the only thing that, like, numbers are the only things that don't lie. I'll just let you sit with that for a while. It's absolute bullshit. You know it's bullshit. Uh, but it does something about algorithms. It helps if I get all the ID stuff in within the first 10 minutes. I uh, got it in before the fourth minute on that one. I'm doing good. I deserve a treat. Maybe a, maybe a cookie or a nice little, little pack of M&M's. Peanut M&M's. Uh, I, uh, it's been kind of an interesting week. It's been a, a couple of weeks, really, hasn't it, since I last talked to you. Uh, I recorded an upload at one point, I think, like an update that goes out to the apps, but I don't put it on the blog or whatever, which I don't know why I don't put it on the blog. I really should. Uh, but I, I think I recorded an upload that just said, hey, FYI, I've had laryngitis, I'm getting over it, and so on. Haven't been sick, just blew out my voice, it happens, and uh, I'm actually finding myself still in the evenings, feeling a little raspy, voice feeling a little weak. 
you got to be careful with your voice, folks, especially when you're you know getting into your 40s and and on. You gotta you gotta you gotta treat the old pipes right. And uh, I did not, so I, I lost my voice. There was almost a week there where I just couldn't talk at all, which was uh, or you know talked in whispers or. If you've ever seen uh, American Splendor, the movie American Splendor with Paul Giamatti in it about the life of Harvey Pekar, uh, there's that scene at the front of the movie where he is losing his voice and his doctor tells him not to talk for a couple of months. That was a cat falling over a box in the background. You're going to hear cats today on the show. We work with cats. Uh, there's a scene. Uh, he's and he's like in a argument with his you know, departing wife and uh she's leaving him not dying and he's like trying to talk her into staying or whatever and he's just making squeaking sounds i sounded like that for a little while i did not have a doctor tell me not to speak for a couple of months though uh i did not see a doctor about it in fact just kind of you know this is how we are this is how we're how we're doing. It's uh it it could be worse, but I am finding my voice wearing a little thin. I hope that doesn't come into play during the episode too much, at least. But if uh you know, my voice quality goes up and down, you know what happened. It's fine. Everything's gonna be fine. We've uh we got a lot of show for you. We gotta do some sad business, we gotta do some extremely happy business, we gotta do some rock and roll business, and we gotta See what the cats are digging into in the background while we're between segments. So we're going to do all that. We're going to think about the snow outside because there's... I should really shovel the snow, but also, again, it's going to be 50 degrees on Sunday. So why? Why shovel? I'm not going to shovel like that. I'm not even... I, 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 I absolutely believe that people should... Uh, brush the snow off their car before they start driving. I don't have anywhere to be, so I'm just going to sit in the house until Sunday and the snow can melt off in the driveway. And it's That's fine. You know? That's, that's fine. Had a really good sandwich, by the way. Went to, uh, what is the name of the place? I always want to say, the, it's, it's an Italian name, and I always want to say the wrong name. Uh, I want to say the name of one of my friends whose name is slightly similar, but uh, not the same. I'm trying to pull up the name of it right now. I sure hope this is riveting listening. It is... Hang on. Gonna get there. It is uh, Caparotti's. Caparotti's. They're a chain. Some of you know of them already, but they're new to St. Louis. Only opened up recently, kind of on Manchester Road, near my office. I uh, heard about them, and I uber them into my office. And I got the Philly cheesesteak that you can customize a little bit. So I put on some extra cheese and did, you know, uh, nice peppers and some yellow mustard. Uh, but the stuff they had on there was great. Anyway, uh, so I got the Philly cheese, and I got a large order of fries. And when you say large order of fries... They're not fucking around. You get like a big gulp full of fries. It's awesome. Uh, and delicious. Delicious. Really liked it there. Going to be going back. Capriati's. Not a sponsor. Never be a sponsor. Probably never going to be a sponsor on this show. Anybody. No one ever sponsors this. But uh, I talk about the stuff I like, and I liked Capriati's quite a bit. Check them out if you're in the St. Louis area or other places where they are. Really, really good sandwich. I could go for that right now if there weren't all the snow on the ground. That's that's the kind of sandwich I'm willing to drive for, man. That's the kind of sandwich I'm willing to drive for. I keep saying things thinking that they're going to be the thing that leads into the music and then we can get into the show, but it's it's not coming off naturally. It feels forced. So instead I'm just going to say, hey, I'm going to play some music and then we're going to get into the show. So that's... That's what we're doing right now. Here comes a little bit of music. It's already fading in, and then we're going to get into the show while it fades out.
up, Checkmates? It seems like every other show we end up having to do one of these little sad segments where we do our RIPs. That's that's a bummer, but you know, it, it would just be wrong not to mention this. You know, not to mention the significant losses within the industry when I'm doing a pop culture show, you know? So we got to touch on that stuff and we've got, we've got a couple to do this time and, and, you know, big bummers to me as a fan of both people in very different ways. Uh, but we're going to start by bidding farewell to Melinda Ledbetter, who, uh, perhaps best known as the wife of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Uh, I'm... I, I, do, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to any of you. I'm sure I've talked about it in past episodes, probably even recently. A huge Beach Boys fan. Really am. Have been for a long time. Huge fan of Brian Wilson's solo career as well. Um, really fell back in love with Brian Wilson and the music of the Beach Boys when the Love and Mercy movie came out several years back now that starred uh, John Cusack and uh, uh, Paul Dano. I think. If I'm wrong about that, I'll edit it out. Or I'll completely forget to edit it out, and somebody will correct me in an email. Um, oh, and Elizabeth Banks, of course. Uh, those two guys played Brian Wilson, and Elizabeth Banks played um, uh, Melinda Ledbetter. Um, I, uh, I, 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 that movie just kind of made me do the deep dive again, and sort of refreshed Brian Wilson's story in my mind in a way that, you know, I, I knew about it, but I, it, it made me look deeper into that. And Brian's Wilson, Brian Wilson's comments on the movie were that it was probably pretty close to the truth after he saw it. Uh, the long and short of it is for a very long time, Brian Wilson was more or less kept drugged by a psychiatrist slash manager of his, uh, who, just had him in a stranglehold, basically, and was just taking advantage of someone with some deep psychological issues and uh, some deep drug issues that he was exploiting and uh, just milking money out of the guy, bilking, pardon me, money out of, out of the guy. And uh, Melissa Ledbetter came along and kind of discovered this and fell in love with Brian and got him out of that situation and got him basically healthy again and gave, I mean, if Brian Wilson had stayed in that situation, he would absolutely be dead by now. But she, her actions gave the world, what, probably 30 more years of Brian Wilson making incredible music uh, longer than that. I'm not sure exactly what years those were, 80 something, I think. So maybe close to 40 years of more Brian Wilson because, because Melinda Ledbetter did what she did for him. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of broke my heart a little to, to hear that she was gone because Brian put out a statement along with his kids that just said, Hey, I, just so y'all know, you know, currently devastated, you know, love Brian, love and mercy, Brian, as he always says. Uh, and you know, j just, it's, one of those weird things where, yeah, I don't know Brian Wilson. I've never met Brian Wilson. I do have his autograph on my wall, actually behind me in this room where I'm talking to you right now, where I also have an original pressing of the Beach Boys' Smiley Smile. I have a first pressing of that hanging on the same wall. Uh, don't know him. Never met him. Probably never going to meet him. But, you know, I saw that and just, you know, heart sunk and just like, oh, no. Uh, I didn't want him to have to go through that, you know? So, of course, I did the thing that probably every Brian Wilson fan did. I rewatched the movie. I uh, listened to Pet Sounds. I listened to Smile. I just I spent some time just steeped in Brian Wilson for a little bit. And, you know, that's such wonderful music and such feel-good music that even... Even in a sad time, listening to that stuff, you kind of go, you know, maybe it'll be all right, you know? Probably won't, but maybe it will, you know? <laughs> and Brian Wilson, uh, Brian Wilson had a lot of sad times, and I guess kind of continues to, and but still keeps delivering this beautiful music that is full of hope and joy and love and mercy. And, uh, 
I'm grateful for that. I'm proud of him for that. And I certainly hope that the world is in some way reciprocating that to him. Uh, I guess I'll, all I can really say at this point is rest in peace, Melinda Ledbetter, and love and mercy to Brian Wilson and his family. We also have to say goodbye to someone who's, in a lot of ways, a personal hero that I didn't quite realize how much of a hero he was until the last couple of years, and especially this past week. We have to say goodbye to Brother Wayne Kramer of the MC5. Uh, a lot of you, well, okay, a lot of you listening to this are going to know who the MC5 are, but the, uh, it would not be a surprise to say the MC5 to somebody and have most people go, who? I don't, who's the MC5? Uh, they were a rock band that really kind of accidentally helped invent punk rock. Uh, their their seminal first album, the MC5 album, with Kick Out the Jams and Ramblin' Rose and whatnot, just a classic album that celebrated its 50th anniversary, I think, in 2018, a little bit before the pandemic. And uh, Wayne Kramer went out and toured the MC50, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the MC5. And uh, just I got to see that tour and sort of I got to be in the same place as Wayne Kramer for a little while. And um, and that same that, I mean, that night was that night was bizarre. And I'll get there in a minute. But. Uh, Wayne Kramer and the MC5, uh, the only band that played at the, what, 1968 Chicago uh, Democratic National Convention uh, in the midst of the riots. The the five still kicked out the jams, motherfucker. And uh, yeah, Wayne Kramer, just awesome, awesome music, really cool, blistering, hard rock music that, again, helped found the, found the basis of punk rock and the world owes him a debt of gratitude for that, and most of the world doesn't even know it. But he... His music is worth talking about. Obviously worth talking about. I'm obviously talking about it. Uh, but it would be... It would be a shame if that's all Wayne Kramer were remembered for. Because Wayne Kramer was also... I mean, he's called Brother Wayne Kramer for a reason. He was also a... a Deeply conscious humanitarian. Um, after the five broke up, he got busted for drugs and spent a couple of years in jail. And he got out of jail and realized the people in jail deserved a better quality of life and deserved to be reached out to as well by more than guilty Christians who want to go in there and tell them to convert to Jesus uh, because it'll look great in the book I'm writing. Uh, or whatever, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure most prison ministers feel, feel what they're doing more than that, but I've worked with some prison ministries and a lot of them end up writing books. Um, Wayne Kramer was an actual inmate and came out and wanted to do something for prisoners and realized that these are human beings, whatever the people on the outside think of them, he's walked among them and they're human beings. Uh, by the way, I have not been a prisoner, but I have done prison ministry and prison visits, and I've walked among them. I've eaten lunch with them. They're human beings. Uh, you, you out there who are imagining the worst possible crimes and saying, "Yeah, but this person or but this situation," fuck you. They're human beings, and you owe them that. Uh, Wayne Kramer is part of the reason I feel that in my soul. After he got out of prison, he started uh, foundations to give prisoners a better life. He, uh, one of his big goals was, uh, to get instruments into prisons so that music musicians could be born out of, out of being incarcerated and incarcerated musicians could still have that basic quality of life outlet. Uh, many people who have been in prisons and gotten to still play guitar. owe Wayne Kramer for that. Uh, he he was foundational in that. He kept playing prisons. That's nothing new. Johnny Cash played prisons, but he he played prisons and converted others to do so. He brought in Slash. He brought in Tom Morello. He brought in Perry Farrell. Uh, a lot of really huge names in the past, you know, significant history of music have played prisons because Wayne Kramer talked to him and said, "Hey, you know, these people deserve to to see you too." 
Outside of that, he did community outreach, community building projects. The man was a genuine gift from, if not God, then then something in the in in the world, some kind of karmic alignment happened and created Wayne Kramer, who did great things for humanity and also just happened to be an incredible songwriter and wrote deeply deeply moving and yet completely completely just fuck you energy songs that would just get your blood flowing and some of them were incredibly silly ramblin rose is incredibly silly and sung in falsetto but it still gets you up and moving he still wants you to have a good time but he also wanted to light a little fire in your heart and boy did he do it and i said i got to see him do the the mc50 tour that night is almost a fever dream because <laughs> he was there playing the music of the mc5 especially the first album but he had uh, a band surrounding him. I don't remember the name of the singer. I apologize for that. I, 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 I could Google it, but I'm not going to. The singer is a guy who stood easily, easily six foot seven, I think is, uh, I had this conversation with my brother uh, yesterday, and I think Dave looked up his height, and the guy's six foot seven, just like a foot and a half taller than anybody else in the band. Uh, he's just a giant uh, and a perfect fit for the little weird band of misfits that Wayne Kramer built around him because the rest of the band that night, it was Wayne Kramer, it was the giant, uh, and the rest of the band was Ken Thale of Soundgarden, Billy Gould of Faith No More, and Brendan Canty of Fugazi. Uh, that was his band. That's fucking crazy. And they're playing MC5 songs, you know? And at one point, Clownvis Presley showed up. If you don't know who that is, it's in the name. It's the Elvis of Clowns, and he's a St. Louis guy. Uh, he, he showed up and did a couple of numbers with him as well. Uh, this was hot on the heels of, of the death of Chris Cornell. This is the first thing Kim Thale did since Cornell died. He, he was even still using the Soundgarden road case, man. Like, I took a picture of the Soundgarden road case because it was like, wow, that's, this is as close as I'm going to get to see in Soundgarden. And that just kind of hit me, you know, like seeing that. That was a moving moment for me as well. I'm pretty sure this is, I, that I've talked about this in a previous episode of this show. It's probably in the archive there somewhere, but I'm sure the, the pictures of that are in the archive somewhere as well. But so go to the blog and type like MC5 or something into into the search bar on the desktop version of the site. Um it was it was a hell of a night, and it was just it was as baffling as it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I actually, Dave and I, my brother Dave, your papa Dave, uh, met Clownvis after the show and got like a selfie with Clownvis. So uh, it was just such an odd and interesting night, and so cool. And damn it, I got to see Wayne Kramer play, you know, and that was significant to me then. It uh, has remained significant to me this week. It's uh, something I'm very, I've been very, very grateful for this week uh, because, again, that's a guy that was a hero of mine that I don't know if I would have phrased it that way until very recently, but he absolutely was and is and will be. And I've listened to those three albums, those three MC5, three fucking albums, that's it. I listened to those three albums in the past week and... People just still need to kick out the jams. People just still need to kick out the jams, motherfucker. Listen to the MC5. Just take a, take a few minutes, just a couple songs, and let it, let it seep into your heart, let it seep into your consciousness, let it, let it seep in, into your dancing shoes, because that makes you want to get up and move around, too. But after that, Look into Wayne Kramer, the humanitarian, and let it seep into your heart. Rest in peace, Brother Wayne Kramer, and thank you so much. Uh, checkmates, I do need to also acknowledge that the world also lost uh, Toby Keith. I uh, am... It would be... It would be incorrect of me to offer a significant eulogy for Toby Keith. I was not a fan don't know much about the guy. 
Uh, I am certain that we were politically and ideologically opposed, but, you know, beyond that, uh, just, you know, I, there are a lot of people that, whose product I like who I disagree with politically and ideologically, but I uh, just never, never got to be a Toby Keith guy. I know a lot of you are, and uh, you have my deepest sympathies. You can tell by the last couple of minutes that I know what it's like to see someone that you respect and admire go. And uh, certainly, whatever anybody thinks of Toby Keith, certainly don't want anybody to go out like that. You, uh, he passed away of cancer, of course, and uh, uh, there are organizations out there right now working to cure cancer. We've got an excellent uh, organization here in, in St. Louis at Washington University doing great cancer studies that you can donate to if you would like to do that. Um, so I don't know a lot about Toby Keith. I cannot give him a proper eulogy, but I want to acknowledge it, and I want to say, uh, d despite what some of you might think would come out of my mouth for somebody who's clearly a Republican, rest in peace, Toby Keith. And that's the end of the sad part. Folks, we're going to move on into a much happier part after a little bit of music that uh, could be anything. I haven't inserted it yet, but here you go. Here's a little bit of music. I collect short stories Of lost loves and past glories Some of them are too long to pass the time Some of them cost more than they're worth You know, in the last episode of this show, we talked about me watching season two of Star Trek Picard and how much I enjoyed season two. Uh, so the natural, logical progression of things means that now we should talk about what I thought about season three, because I've watched that in the past week and a bit since the last show. Uh, by the way, between segments, I had a coughing fit. Uh, my throat, still not 100%. So if, uh, if there are weird edits in this, possible I was just coughing uh, or needed to take a drink or something. Uh, also, uh, my software occasionally is, is doing that thing again where it just sort of glitches out and doesn't record like a second of audio. So if there's weird jumps in this, that's what happened. Not going to fix it. Uh, Picard Season 3. I watched Picard Season 3, which um, I'll tell you this. I, I liked Picard Season 2 so much that when I started Season 3, even knowing sort of where it was going to go... I wasn't enjoying it for the first two episodes. I started watching it. I think here's what happened. I finished watching season two and then jumped immediately into season three while season two was still fresh on my mind. And I was expecting to kind of pick up where season two ended. And then, you know, season three will be a natural outgrowth of that. Nah, it's not that. It's, it's not a continuation of that at all. It's a whole new story. And I was, I, I think I was just disappointed by that, and I was in a bad mood, and I was mad. And I was like, this isn't what I want at all. I want the last season. Which, uh, the good news about that, I could just watch season two again, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in a bad mood, I guess. And I was just not enjoying season three at all. I think just because it's a jarring change from season two. And to be honest with you, now that I've completed the whole watch of the series, I, uh, I would probably reorder the, the seasons, even though the fulfilling thing in season three is that we get to... Spoilers, by the way. The fulfilling thing in season three is that we get to see the complete reunited Star Trek Next Generation cast. That has to be season three, obviously. But, like, in terms of order of the emotional story arc of the story... I might have started with season one and then done season three and then finished with season two because season two felt like a like it it was more of a it, it felt like it wrapped up the story that we started in season one a lot better. Um, and, you know, I just it, it just I mean, like season one and two, if it had stopped at season two, I would have thought, you know what, that was a really good ending to season one. I'm happy with what this show did. It then went to season three and I ended up really liking season three, but it took me a minute to get there because it felt just a little bit out of place with seasons one and two. It's just, it's a different tone. It's a different, feels like it's a different purpose 
we lose a lot of the cast of seasons one and two, but we gain all of the cast of Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, so it just it's it it's just an odd tone, you know, just an odd tonal shift away from what we were doing into what it ended at. That's that's the criticism I have, and I think that's a valid criticism. But at the same time. What am I going to fucking do? Complain that we got to see the Next Generation cast reunited? What am I, an idiot? Uh, you know? <laughs> no. What I am is I was in a bad mood when I started watching it. So I stopped watching it. And I gave it about a week. And I watched it all in a day when I picked it back up. Because I was in a better mood. And it just hit me the right way, and I went, oh, I, I, obviously, I'm supposed to love this, you know? I still think it's a jarring change from season two. I think there could have been more done to transition out of that and to explain some of the changes to the cast and whatnot a little better. But uh, uh, ultimately, I, I, I ended up liking season three. I just think it needed a better transition. But yeah, I didn't enjoy it at first, but ended up really loving it. I also, I still think, like, one of the criticisms I really have of season three that I also think is valid is that in season two, in the last episode of this show, you heard me talking about how they finally made Seven of Nine feel like a fleshed-out character. And we start season three, and they just ripped that all away. And she's just kind of on a ship again, answering to an asshole of a boss, and not, not really feeling like the Seven that we just left in season two. You know? Like... Again, this feels like, like her story feels like part three should have been in the middle and part two should have been her ultimate conclusion because she's more well-rounded at the end of season two than she is in all of season three. It's baffling. Although season three ends very well for her. She ends up a captain of a starship. In fact, she ends up a captain of the newly christened new starship Enterprise. Ooh, cool, huh? Uh... Yeah, and, and and it's very fulfilling, but I just, I felt like, wow, they really ripped the balls off a of seven, you know, like, that's just sort of how I felt about it, and that's, you know, not a great way to, to start, that's, you know, it, it, it's just, they just plain dropped and ignored a lot of the shit that they did in seasons one and two, uh, including the new Borg stuff that they just dropped into our lap on season two, they now came into this and were like, ah, never mind. Yeah, forget about that. That just is an aberration. Never mind that. We're gonna we're gonna do stuff with the Borg, but it's not gonna be that the version of the Borg that we just introduced. What? You know, like, so there, there are structural problems, is what I'm saying. But once you get past the structural problems, really, once you get past the first two episodes and you start dialing in to the fact that Picard and Riker are palling around and getting mad at each other a little bit. And once you get used to the fact that Beverly Crusher is now in the show, and she has a son that we didn't know about, and it turns out that Jean-Luc Picard's son, which itself is a risky move, but once, you've, once you sort of, sort of accept that and start to fall in love with the story of that and with Picard's, you know, how Picard is dealing with that, once you start to fall in love with that, you kind of start to forgive the structural problems and just kind of get wrapped up in the story that they want to tell in the season. And that's what happened for me. And they slowly start introducing more and more of the next-gen cast. We meet uh, Worf, who, you know, Commander Worf, or whatever his title is now. Worf comes back into the picture as basically a more or less an AA sponsor for the character of uh, Rafi, who has also been somewhat depowered from the previous season. Although it turns out she's working in Starfleet Intelligence, but whatever. They bring back Worf, and Worf is known to be this Klingon badass, and we just, we know that, oh, Worf's here, shit's gonna get serious. But it turns out that Worf is uh, working on himself and is trying to uh, become a pacifist, uh, which I really loved. It was, it, it, there's a line, like, one of the first lines that we hear him speak is uh, he gets Rafi out of a bad situation, and she's unconscious, and she kind of comes to, and wakes up and we see Worf standing there and he's just like, I'm making chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? And that's just so not a Worf line that it just, I, I laughed out loud. You know, like that, that got me. I was like, okay, I, I, I love this version of Worf. And, uh, you know, so we meet him and we meet uh, Jordy LaForge is working on basically the Federation Museum, more or less. 
uh, Rikers around, and which brings Deanna Troy in eventually. Be- Beverly Crusher is saved by Picard in the first episode, and so she's around. Uh, I feel like I'm... Well, we also get reunited with Data, who is a new Data, who is uh, uh, a new Soong-type android that was built with the consciousness of Data, of Lore, of B4, who's the guy from Nemesis that everybody hated, uh, except for me. I thought it was actually a really good conclusion to that story. Uh, and he's also got some of Dr. Soong himself in there. Uh, so he's this gestalt entity, but who basically ends up answering to Data because that's who he... That's sort of who he is to these people, you know? So we get a new Data who has the benefit of looking older. So they kind of, they tap danced around that pretty well. Uh, yeah, we, we just get, we get the whole, the whole band back together, man. And that's, that's cool. And like the whole story revolves around, you know, Picard trying to get to know his son who doesn't seem to really want to get to know him that much. And also is a little bit crazy. Uh, so that, which they just drop on you in episode four, but fine, whatever, it drives the rest of the season. Uh, so there's a father-son thing in there, and you got, uh, you got changelings back. We're dealing with changelings as an enemy. That's one of the things that made me sad, was like, ah, it's such a shame that René Arbogenois has passed away. He was the guy that played Odo in Deep Space Nine, or Clayton Endicott III and Benson. Uh, it's such a shame that René Arbogenois has passed away. He would have killed it as a revived Odo in this series. That would have been wonderful to see, but it obviously wasn't possible. Um, We're dealing with the Changelings, and we're dealing with the Borg, the classic Borg that we knew in the old series, doing stuff. Uh, A lot of the father-son story. Uh, The father-son stuff, I really liked the Picard end of it, but Jack who actually, I like that that actor from Downton Abbey, but uh, the guy, the character of Jack, I, I just never really fell in love with him. I just, it, uh, multiple times I was like, yeah, fine, just send Jack in and have him die and the entire problem goes away. Let's just do that. You know, like I just didn't care about him. Just didn't. But Picard did, so I kind of had to, you know? At one point during the show, they bring back Ensign Rowe. Remember Ensign Rowe? Probably not. A lot of you hated her at the time during during uh, TNG. Uh, she comes back into the show and was just one of those characters nobody liked at the time. I didn't like her at the time. In rewatches, I didn't like her because she wasn't written very well. And let me tell you this. Whoever was writing this wrote her character so much better than the original TNG writers did. That's what happened throughout this entire series is that, oh, they know how to write these characters now. Because they took Ensign Rowe, made me care about her in like four minutes, which was a miracle in and of itself, and then killed her. So that's, uh, <laughs> TNG couldn't get me on board with Ensign Rowe and couldn't get me, like I wouldn't have felt the loss of Ensign Rowe had that just happened, you know, it, it, had they just kind of like, oh, hey, Ensign Rowe is here, oh, and she's dead. I would have gone, eh, eh, all right. But she was so well written, and the short time she had in the one episode she was in of this series that I actually felt the loss of Ensign Rowe when her ship blew up. It was it was great. It was so well written. Oh, and by the way, the, one of the main villains in the show, played by Amanda Plummer, which I knew Amanda Plummer was supposed to be in this season, but I somehow didn't even clock that it was her because it was just... Yeah, she's got some prosthetics on and some makeup and whatnot, but also I just hadn't seen Amanda Plummer in a while, so I I just, you know, by the time she was on screen, I kind of forgot that she was in it, and I went, oh, that that villain is is interesting, and there's something familiar about her? Yeah, she was the sister, and so I married an axe murderer. That's that's where you saw her first, Derek. You've known who she is for like 30 years. Uh, Amanda Plummer. She was in it, and she was great. She was fantastic. I really dug her character. She was evil in the most wonderful way, and, uh, I just, I, she was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, the season jumped back and forth, uh, it was, uh, it jumped back and forth between being a jarring break from the previous stuff and was ultimately incredibly fulfilling and great once we got the, uh, the main cast in place because we get we get the band back together and they get onto the Enterprise D that Jordy has been restoring in secret for a very long time. Deus Ex Machina, I know, but it was worth it. You know, you could 
when you see that ship on screen for the first time in 30 years and you grew up watching TNG, fuck it. Whatever logic you have, to, whatever bullshit story you have to sell to get that ship on screen, you get that ship on screen. And they did it, and it nailed it, and I loved it. Uh, I mean, the, the cast together on that ship was an obvious highlight. Something happened in all of that that moved me in a way that I didn't expect it to move me. I didn't even think of it as a possibility. And I hadn't... This is like the, the spoiler I hadn't heard. And probably a lot of people who watched it who are, you know... I don't want to call anybody a casual fan, but, you know, the people who don't look at the cast list that close don't, you know, don't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, the voice of the Star Trek... Enterprise D computer uh, at the time of the show was played by Majel Barrett. Majel Barrett was the wife of Gene Roddenberry. She was the ambassador of the Roddenberry vision and the uh, she went to the, the conventions and everything after he was long gone and she was just sort of the she was in a lot of ways just sort of the continuing heart of the original vision of Star Trek uh, until she passed away. She passed away during the run of the original series. Um, but she had been the voice of the of the computer that whole time. And when they're on the ship and they ask the computer a question, whose fucking voice do we hear but Majel Barrett? And I don't mind telling you I got really choked up. I was like, oh my God, it's Majel, you know? <laughs> and there was a really sweet moment at the very end that I, I think they even tried to kind of pass off as a joke, but that I, I like actual tears. Uh, they're leaving the bridge of the Enterprise. They're telling the computer to shut down, and Majel's voice comes out and confirms that she's shutting down the ship. And as they're walking toward the turbo lift, R Riker just says, I missed that voice. And I went, me too. <laughs> you know, and just had, just had a moment. Just had a moment of like, ah, they nailed it. You know, they nailed it. You had to put up with some bullshit. You had to put up with some bad structure. You had to put up with some deus ex machina. You had to put up with a lot of giving a lot of goodwill to stuff that shouldn't have worked. But once they got that cast together on that ship and did what they did to end this series, they fucking nailed it. They nailed it. Like, I hadn't felt that good about a Star Trek ending in decades, probably. I haven't been as excited about Star Trek in, uh, since TNG ended, or, I, well, probably since DS9, until I started watching season one of Picard. And then, like, the end of, of season three of Picard, it's like, my God, my heart hasn't felt this full <laughs> in a very long time because of this show, you know? This is a good year for sci-fi shows that mean a lot to me, doing shit that makes me feel good. We've got awesome Doctor Who happening. We had a wonderful wrap-up to Star Trek Picard. We've got ongoing cool Star Trek stuff happening, too. We'll talk about that at some point, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a break from the nerd talk, those of you who don't like it. Uh, I, I, it's, it's just been a, it's a really good time for sci-fi fans, you know? At least fans like me. So, Picard Season 3... Started out kind of going, ah, blah, 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 grumble, 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 grumble. And in the end, my God, how big my heart felt. And that's really all you can ask. Oh, plus we get a post-credits uh, scene with Q. We get an ongoing Q thing for just a minute. So that was fun, too, because I was hoping Q wasn't done, because he was barely in season two. He was in this even less, but it felt... A little bit more pivotal how it was used after the credits in this one. Like, this appearance almost felt better than his whole story in Season 2. So that was cool, too. Star Trek Picard. All of it's done. I mean, that, that, that series is now done. It's out there. Pick it up. Or stream it. Whatever you do. You should be buying Blu-rays still, because eventually Paramount Plus will take that away from you. But... Watch it while you can in whatever form that you can. If you're like me, you're going to have a good time with it. So good a time did I have with it, in fact, that now I'm reading Patrick Stewart's autobiography. 
We'll talk about that at another time, too. In the meantime, folks, what else is there to say but live long and prosper? I've fallen so far It's so hard to be yourself When you don't know who you are I'm afraid I've lost my Your Papa Dave and I had a little bit of fun recently. We uh, went to a concert, as we sometimes do. Went and saw Living Color with Extreme. Actually, other way around, I guess. Extreme was the headliner and Living Color opened, which is a baffling choice to begin with. Like, Living Color is not an opening act. Uh, Double Bell, sure. Both equal time headliners, sure. I could see that. They have, a, they have enough in common in their sound, you know, rock music with a little bit of a funk groove to it. Opening act? It shouldn't be an opening act. We'll, we'll get more into that in a, in a little bit, but uh, I really wanted to see both bands. I had never seen either band. Dave has seen both. Uh, so I was really excited. I heard they were coming to town. I just got excited, and we got tickets, and everything was right in the world for a little bit. And we went and saw, you know, that show at, uh, uh, what is it, River City Casino? Is that the name of it? It's a casino, as you may have gathered from the name, if I got the name correct. Uh, here in St. Louis. Uh, interesting to see a rock show in a casino kind of uh, entertainment room. Because you walk in there, and it's, I mean, you are aware that you're in a casino, and you walk into where the stage is, and it just kind of feels like a mega church, which there's probably something there's there's a commentary there that uh, mega churches are designed like casinos because casinos did it first. Let's not act like they didn't. Casinos did it first, and then mega churches modeled their look after what casinos did with their stage areas. Uh, so that was interesting. Just kind of an interesting vibe walking in, that does kind of indicate that you're dealing with a little bit of a higher class of uh, uh, ticket holder, a little bit of a higher class situation. It just feels a little bit more, oh, okay, this is going to be, this is fine. You know, this isn't like, (laughs) this isn't like your CD rock club. This is like, everybody's going to be fine here, you know, and everybody was. So uh, that was just kind of an interesting tone to start the thing, walking into a casino. Uh, it was a good show, really good show. Both bands were excellent. I'm um, just kind of kind of talk about them one at a time. Uh, we went, I wore my Van Halen 3 tour shirt from when Gary Sharon was fronting Van Halen. Had the tour shirt still from 1998. It still basically fit, so I wore it. And got in a couple conversations about it. One, uh, right when we got in, there were some guys there and we started talking to them. And then another, when I wandered off to buy more merch in between bands, uh, somebody <laughs> kind of cornered me like, Van Halen 3, you know. And, we, and it was all positive, you know. Was, uh, I, Gary Sharon unites the masses. Uh, but uh, uh, So it went like that. Dave was also wearing some kind of shirt. Uh, just so you know, I don't remember what it was, but he was definitely, he definitely had a shirt on and pants. It's one thing you could say about that guy, shirt and pants, uh, shoes too. Also probably socks. Didn't check on the socks, just surface level. That's all I know. Living Color was the first band to take the stage. We bought merch before the show even started because of course we did. And the table was right there when you walked in. So we got our... Extreme shirts, we got, uh, we both, actually, I, did we both get a living color shirt? Did, did Dave get an extreme shirt? Wait a minute. He can clear that up when he's on the show next if he wants to. Uh, I got an extreme shirt and I got a living color shirt and, you know, thought I was done. And then we went in and we sat down, we got comfortable and living color took the stage. And by the way, we were right down front. I think there was like two rows in front of us. We were real close off to the side, but real close, like, you know. 
Uh, for Living Color, we were on uh, Vernon Reed's side, which is right where you want to be. And for Extreme, we were on Pat Badger's side, which is right where I want to be. Because as you remember from my Fab 15, he's one of my Fab 15 bass players. In fact, he's in my top 10. He's at number 10 on that particular list. Uh, so yeah, it was I, we, super close, right where you want to be, or right where I want to be anyway for both acts, and that was really cool. Living Color takes the stage, and they just deliver a blistering, fun, wonderful set. A little bit short, I think it was about 45 to 50 minutes, somewhere in there. Could have done a lot more, and I would have loved it, uh, but it was, it was a great set. It was a really great set. Not a person sitting down in the place. You know, most opening acts get limited engagement, you know, or if it's a band that is known, they'll get engagement during the hits. People were on their feet for all of Living Color's show. Sat down a little bit during Extreme. At one point, we were encouraged to sit down for Nuno's solo, but uh, on our feet, on our feet the whole time Living Color was out there. Uh, their set list was bananas, just all over the place. They did some stuff from the, uh, Time's Up album. They did the obvious Cult of Personality. They also, uh, threw in a couple covers. They did a, uh, about a verse and a chorus of Nothing Compares to You, which I haven't heard a lot of bands do that live. There's probably been one or two over time, but, like, that one, like, their version just connected with me, and I could have used a full version, although I'm kind of glad that they didn't do a full version, because... They started playing it, and I, I love Prince, who wrote the song, and it you know kind of felt right that they were carrying that on. But also, we just recently lost Sinead O'Connor, and there was that tied in, and they did a verse and a chorus, and if they had done more, I would have been a mess, because I was just feeling all of the things that you're supposed to feel at that point, and I was, you know, that was just flooding over me, and that was nice. So, thankfully, they mercifully stopped before I started crying, uh, but I loved that. And they also did a uh, tribute to the Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, you know, Rapper's Delight, that's what you know of the Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, which was really cool, because uh, people don't probably realize this. You got uh, Doug Wimbish in the band playing the bass. Doug played on those Sugar Hill records. I'm pretty sure he was the bass player on Rapper's Delight, actually. He, people don't realize that he's been around quite that long. People don't realize the career that Doug Wimbish had, unless you're a bass player, uh, and still has, I guess I should say, of course, obviously. But uh, he, yeah, he played on those old Sugar Hill records, man. So, of course, perfect act to do, to do a tribute, you know? So he did a little Sugar Hill tribute. And, you know, their own stuff, and it was great, and high energy, and you had Corey Glover out there fronting the band, hitting all the high notes, including some high notes that were never there in the first place. He just wanted to show he could still do it. Uh, had the cool, long dreads that are multicolored now, and just just came out wearing a cape and, like, a black leather shirt. I think he had a vest on over that and a red necktie and a kilt, and everybody went, yep, he's cool enough to pull that off. We're not even going to question it. And he just owned the stage. He was perfect. You got your Doug Wimbish, who I already mentioned, with a huge, huge bass tone, playing out of Trace Elliott amps, and just just insanely good bass tone. Uh, we could get into the nitty-gritty of that, but, you know, that's only interesting to me and other bass players. But uh, Doug Wimbish, wow, what a what a tone, what a presence. It was, I, I uh, my voice was still pretty messed up at that point, but I, like... That made me yell. I just yelled his name at him when he came over to our part of the stage because I didn't know what to say, so I yelled Doug, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> uh, But he was great. And then you've got uh, your Will Calhoun on the drums, just rock-solid drummer, very innovative drummer, uh, Berkeley graduate, I do believe, uh, very educated hands on, 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 on those skins. Uh, listen to me trying to sound cool. Uh, Will Calhoun, just a hell of a drummer, almost gets overlooked in that band because of the company that he's keeping, but he is a phenomenal drummer, absolutely phenomenal drummer. Weird polyrhythms that hold together songs that should fly apart. He's just, he's brilliant. And then you've got Vernon fucking Reed on the guitar, <laughs> who is a guy who, I, I can't think of a reason 
that Vernon Reed isn't mentioned in the same sentence as Steve Vai, as Joe Satriani, as Eddie Van Halen, and as Nuno Betancourt. Actually, I can think of one reason, but otherwise, uh, he is absolutely a guitar god, a guitar hero. He is just, as a guitar player, it was incredible to watch. Uh, as people who don't play guitar probably have a different experience, but still know that he's something, you know, but uh, as a guitar player, just constantly, how's he doing that? <laughs> like, I'm watching him do that, and I don't know how he's doing that. Just a monster of a player. So good is Vernon Reed that when Nuno was uh, going to do his guitar solo, he started talking about how he was glad that they were doing stuff with uh, Living Color because they've wanted to do something for together forever, but just never had the chance until now, and he said, I was really excited about, you know, doing stuff with Living Color until I realized, oh, fuck, Vernon Reed's gonna play before me? You know, and he, he joked that he called up Vernon and said, hey, man, really looking forward to doing the tour with you. Would you mind holding back a little? You know, and <laughs> uh, he was kidding, of course, but it was a good joke. And uh, when, let me just say this to you, folks, when Nuno Betancourt, who is legitimately one of the best guitarists living today, when Nuno Betancourt expresses a little bit of fear to play after you, you are a seriously scary guitar player. And Vernon Reed is that fucking good and that fucking scary. Just next-level, mind-blowing, great guitar player. It was a treat, a pleasure, and an honor to be just a few feet away from him and get to watch that happen. Uh, it was just a lot of fun, man. Just a lot of fun living color. Doing their set. Nobody sat down. Didn't want to sit down. Wouldn't dare sit down. And then they got off the stage, and as they were exiting the stage, I turned to my brother and just said, Actually, you guys want to do, like, another hour? I kind of don't need to see the... <laughs> you know, I, I came in wanting to see Extreme, but I kind of don't need to see him anymore. We're, we're, I'm good, you know. Uh, I, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but I'll tell you... I walked out of the show feeling like, oh good, I finally saw Extreme, but I wa also walked out thinking, man, I gotta see Living Color again, you know, and a full headlining set. If they are in St. Louis doing a headlining set, I am there, barring anything weird, you know. But then, you know, it's between sets, and I went out and bought another Living Color t-shirt, and, <laughs> and uh, then eventually on comes Extreme. And I've been waiting for a long time to see Extreme. I've, uh, I, I've mentioned them on the show a number of times. I'm not going to go into the whole spiel about why I like them and when I started liking them and all that. But, but I've been waiting a long time to see them. Uh, closest I ever got was seeing Gary Sharon front Van Halen, you know, which I enjoyed. But uh, you got your Gary Sharon out there still doing cool-ass lead singer stuff and being a commanding presence on stage and making you look at him. Uh, even though I think he's probably actually naturally kind of shy, he just, he's so magnetic, you can't help but just stare at the guy, you know, and you got your Nuno Betancourt just blowing minds over there, incredible guitar player, talking a little bit too much, a little chatty is Nuno, fills up a lot of, a lot of time chatting, could have crammed in like another three songs if Nuno had just shut up. Uh, usually it's happening because there are other transitions happening on stage. But still, good enough, a little less talk from Nuno, says a guy who's talking endlessly on a podcast. But that's what my gig is. He plays guitar. You know, I want to hear him play guitar. I don't want to, want to hear him chatter. Uh, but it's, it was fine. He was entertaining. Uh, Pat Badger, one of my favorite bass players, really cool to sit there and watch him play all those cool riffs and stuff that I'm so familiar with that I really love. Uh, people don't realize on Cupid's Dead, he's playing the exact same shit Nuno is, and he's he's really, really good. He just, I mean, he can't do that all of the time, because you can't have both guys doing that all of the time, but he's able to do it. He's a really, really fucking good bass player. Uh, and then you've got the drummer whose name I do not remember. He's only been in the band for about 20 years. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, Kevin something. Uh, Figueredo, Figurello, uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I could Google it, but I, I don't, Kevin something. Uh, rock solid drummer. I don't mean to make disrespect. He's been in the band for quite some time now, but like, I remember Paul Geary being in the band initially, who, by the way, is now part of their management team, if you didn't know that. 
And then uh, Mike Mangini was in there a while, and there have been a couple other session guys in and out. And this guy's been in since, I think, like 2007. And uh, I just do not know his name. But he was rock solid, really good. They did uh, they did a good set, did the hits that you expect, did the sing-along on More Than Words and all that, did a couple of cuts you didn't expect, uh, Midnight Special off of uh, Waiting for the Punchline. That's a pretty deep cut. Did some stuff off the first album I could have done without, frankly. Uh, but uh, they they had some nice surprises in there. Had some really good stuff. Really enjoyed the set. My one criticism is it sounded like Gary was a little bit pitchy for a lot of the night, which I don't think that I, I don't think that he's just at that point in his life where he's pitchy or anything. My guess is he got into Missouri and it was 70 degrees for some reason and his throat just freaked the fuck out because we've got dogwood trees and things here. Uh, I, I genuinely think he went on stage going, oh, I got a little bit of allergies going on, but I can, I can do this. And then went for a couple of the notes and went, Oh, whoops. You know, I think that's all that happened because he's, I mean, I've listened to other live footage. He's still rock solid and he's rock solid on the albums. And he's got, he's just got one of those really big voices. And sometimes those voices can be a little clumsy if you get a little bit of pollen in your, in your, uh, sinuses, you know? So I, I think that's all that was happening with Gary, but I did notice it. And probably 99% of the rest of the room did not. Yeah, I don't, I, I mentioned it to Dave and he hadn't noticed it, you know, and I, I'm kind of an asshole for bringing it up on this show, but I mean, it, it, genuinely, I think he went on stage going, ah, I'm not quite hitting this. Derek will know, but he's the only one. And he just kind of kept going because, you know, we go way back. Uh, it, and it was, it was fine. When he was on, he was dead on. When, and he's such, again, he's such a commanding presence on the stage that even, you know, not quite being a hundred percent, He's still 100%, you know, and he's 100% better than I'm going to fucking do. So uh, really enjoyed the whole experience there. The one criticism that I have, well, the two criticisms, is that, you know, Nuno talks too much and, look, very great guitar player. Do one solo, uh, you know, like, we don't need you to do multiple solos. Uh, but the other criticism that I have is um, I love Extreme. I really love Extreme. I'm so glad I saw him. But folks, if you don't want to be blown off the stage by your opening act, your opening act absolutely cannot be Living Color. They were the star of the evening for me. I've been listening to nothing but them since I got home. Uh, by the way, the Kaleidoscope album is a lot better than you think. Uh, as is, I mean, all of their albums are a lot better than you think. You're familiar with Vivid because you like... You like that. And so do I. But they got uh, they got six albums. Interesting thing, actually. Both of those bands been around the same amount of time. Only six albums each. But uh, Living Color, those albums are all over the place. Pick them up, compare, contrast. You'll find stuff you like on each of them. You'll find stuff that you don't like on each of them. But you're going to have a shitload of fun. And I had a shitload of fun that night. And uh, sorry that I you know, pointed out that... Gary might have been a little bit off that night, but you know, it happens, and it's something that happened, and I heard it happen, so I mentioned it in my review of the show. Did not ruin my time at all. Did not ruin anybody's time in the room. My voice is off a little bit right now because I have I threw it out at one point, and you know, it's probably not ruining your time, except for the one guy that's going to email me about it. You're as big of a dick as I am, guy. Uh, but that's, uh, it was a great time. It was a great time. I, I just, I, I feel like there's stuff that I'm missing. I feel like there's more that I want to say. I feel like there's, there's just something else I could add, but I don't know. I guess, I guess when you try to explain how much an evening means to you, sometimes, just sometimes, it takes more than words. One man stand idly by and another man a savior. One man choose to give his life and another man pull the trigger. One man give all that he got and one man drown in riches. One man bathe with the fire of life and another burn by what he is. And then, oh, and then, and then he is a man. And then, oh, and then, and then he is All right, look, I'm sorry about the more than words joke at the end of that last segment. It seemed clever at the time 
and now I've had a little bit of time to think about it, and yeah, sorry. Or if you laughed at it, then I'm exactly the genius you think I am. Uh, thanks, Checkmates, for listening to an episode that has gone surprisingly long for me not having my full throat with me. Uh, there has been some pausing that you hopefully, hopefully you're not noticing, uh, so I can take a drink of something and do some coughing. Um, again, not sick, just throw out my voice. It'll be fine. Look, Dave and I are going to get together and do a Fab 15 soon. I don't know if that's going to be this week, next week, or what. Uh, you'll figure that out based on what the next upload is. Uh, but we're going to do a Fab 15. We decided we're just going to go ahead and do the Fab 15 Weird Al songs. We were thinking we'd put it off until spring, but there's been some spring weather here anyway, with the exception of, like, today. And everybody keeps talking about Weird Al, and we keep talking about Weird Al, so we're going to do the Fab 15 Weird Al songs. That's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know how much we're going to have to say, because, uh, like, I think there's only so much you can say about, yeah, 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 it was a f- funny parody of this song. Uh, probably we'll end up talking about the original songs quite a bit, uh, at least for the parody ones. There's probably stuff that'll make it on the list that won't be parody songs, and that'll be interesting. There is a lot to say about Weird Al, so we probably just have to figure out where and when to say it amidst saying, uh, yeah, so this is a good parody of this popular song, and then tell a different story. (laughs) I'm interested to see how that... uh, (coughs) Sorry. I'm interested to see how that uh, list goes. Well, uh, I I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun. If nothing else, it's always fun to talk about Weird Al with somebody who genuinely loves Weird Al as much as you do. Uh, I know we've both got stories and things to say. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do that. Going to do Fab 15 Weird Al soon. That's, uh, that's coming up. Other than that, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about next week. I'm not entirely sure what all I talked about this week. This will be <laughs> an interesting one for me to listen back on, because uh, the long ones, sometimes I cover a lot of ground, and I end up regretting some of it. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for letting me do this and for letting me be a part of your week. Please remember to do whatever keeps you happy, healthy, and safe. Please remember that black lives matter, that LGBTQIA plus rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. And please, checkmates, be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Ask not what your country can do for you. 